I finished up, last time I was talking to you, I finished up a series on uh, justice. Remember, uh, we talked about the effect of prayer, the effect of righteousness, the effect of uh, humility. And so I want to kind of continue in that vein. It's not really still that series. It's kind of a one-off. But it is continuing in that vein. So you'll hear, maybe we'll hit some of the verses we hit before, some familiar things. But I think you're going to perhaps look at these verses in a different way this morning. You may learn something, no promises, all right? Uh, But I'll try. I learned something, but, you know, it doesn't mean you will. That might just mean I was ignorant. Now, uh, if you want to get your notes out, you can feel free to follow along. Uh, What I want to talk about this morning is the knowledge of the glory of the Lord. The knowledge of the glory of the Lord. Not just the glory of the Lord, but the knowledge of the glory of the Lord. And uh, I'm doing this in part for a specific reason. There's some, there's some uh, recent internet swirl in controversy. There is, uh, it's not the first time, won't be the last time. There's been internet swirl and controversy in the past. There'll be internet swirl and controversy in the future. I've already warned you, I think I did this a couple years ago, that when we get what we're praying for, when we get a move of God in Brevard County, there will be websites talking about how Church on the Rock isn't really Christian, how we're a cult, how we're, uh, you know, all the stuff, right? It'll be, they'll say terrible things. Uh, it'll happen. I guarantee it. It'll happen. It just goes with, that's why I told Rachel I don't want to play in that league. I, I want the move of God, but I don't want to be famous. So we'll just try and, I'll just try and blame you guys. I didn't do anything. They're just praying for people and stuff's happening. Don't blame me. It's not my fault. And then maybe there won't be websites dedicated to me. I don't know. Anyway, that's just the way it works. And so this morning, part of what I'm doing is teaching you how to deal with stuff like that because it's going to be more in the future. It's going to get worse. And it's not just for this current swirl. It's for all the swirls to come. Amen? So let's talk about the knowledge of His glory. Now, the first thing you need to know that the glory of the Lord biblically comes in, I'm going to say, two forms. Uh, And it's important that we understand the distinction because we pray for the glory of the Lord and we sing songs, Lord, send your glory. And we need to know what we're talking about and what we're expecting because he often answers our prayers uh, according to his understanding and we miss it because we were thinking it was something else. So I want us to understand. The first form of his glory that we see in the Bible is the physical manifestation of the presence of God. Now, we, this morning, um, in worship, uh, most of us uh, sense the presence of the Lord, yeah? Uh, But there wasn't a physical manifestation. You couldn't point and go, there he is. Uh, We just sensed the presence of the Lord. Sometimes there's a physical manifestation. There have been stories of glory clouds coming into a building or uh, gold dust. Some of you have heard stories of gold dust. That sounds kind of fun. Plus, you know, sparkling. Sounds like a party. Um, uh, fragrance of the Lord. We had one time on a youth trip where the room was full of the fragrance of the Lord. came out of nowhere. Everyone smelled it. It wasn't just some people. Everybody in the room went, oh, that smell, that's God. So there was a physical manifestation of his glory. And that happens sometimes. And uh, we see probably the most significant one in Second Chronicles chapter 7. 
I'm going to read verses 1 through 3. It's when Solomon had just, remember, David stored up all the stuff so Solomon could build a temple. So Solomon finishes building the temple, and this is the temple dedication. This is their opening service, and, you know, they had balloons and the, the things that, you know, out there. So everybody came. It's real crowded. And uh, they're very excited. And let's look at what happens. It says, when Solomon and... When Solomon had finished praying, fire came down from heaven and consumed the burnt offering and the sacrifices. By the way, that is an awesome way to start a church service. <laughs> and the glory of the Lord filled the temple, and the priests could not enter the house of the Lord because the glory of the Lord had filled the house of the Lord. And when all the children saw, all the children of Israel saw how the fire came down. In the glory of the Lord on the temple, they bowed their faces to the ground on the pavement, and they worshiped and praised the Lord, which seems like an appropriate response to that, saying, for he is good, for his mercy endures forever. Amen? So that's a physical manifestation. And it, it was so profound that the priest couldn't even go in and do anything. I don't even know. And they all got on their faces. And I want you to notice what they sang, because it's going to come out a lot in the rest of this teaching. Because uh, you think uh, there might be some terror. Remember when God came down the mountain, they were afraid. And they wanted to stand back. Uh, but here, uh, they're overwhelmed with the presence of the Lord, and they comment on his goodness and his mercy. The Lord is good, and his mercy endures forever. The Lord is good, and his mercy endures forever. Keep those in your mind, okay? So uh, this is the physical manifestation of his glory uh, that was significant. We know it happens now and again. Uh, we know it will happen. Uh, there will be a physical manifestation of his glory at his second coming. Uh, I put down Ezekiel and Matthew. You can read those, but it's very clear he will come in his glory. It will probably be a lot like when he appeared on the Mount of Transfiguration and he was shining and, and Peter and then passed out. Um, so it will be like that, the manifestation of his glory. But my fear is that whenever we talk about the glory, we think of that, those rare times perhaps when there's a glory cloud in the room or something physically manifests. And most of the time, I think uh, we're talking about this second form of his glory. And this is biblical also. And it is the revealing of his heart, which also has to do with the Lord is good and his mercy endures forever. Amen. So... Here we go. We've looked at these passages a lot recently, so I'm not going to read them to you. I'm just going to remind you. Uh, it's Exodus 33, verses 18 and 19, and 34, 6 and 7, where Moses is appealing to God. Now, let me give you a little bit of the backstory so you remember. Uh, God has just told Moses, you're going into the promised land. You need to take these people with you. I'm not going because if I go, I'm going to have to kill them, right? You remember that? And Moses says, whoa, these are your people. I didn't bear all these children. If you're not going, I don't want to go. He literally says, kill me now. So that is a biblical phrase, but you want to be careful how you use that. <laughs> he says, if you're not going, just take me out. I am not going there without you, right? And so God immediately says, okay, I'll go with you. And then Moses gets bold, and he says, hey, God, show me your glory, right? Talked him into his presence coming along. He says, show me your glory. And God says, I will 
show you my glory. I will cause my goodness to pass before you. And then in the next chapter, he passes before him and he proclaims his goodness, his long-suffering, his mercy, and his truth, right? And so we've got to get this. This is really important for you understanding where I'm going here. The glory of the Lord, the revealing of his heart, is his, you can sum it up in these three words, his goodness, his mercy, and his truth. When we're talking about the revealing of the glory of the Lord, we're talking about the revealing of his goodness and his mercy and his truth. This is the knowledge of the glory of the Lord, the knowledge of his goodness and his mercy and his truth. Really got to get that, okay? Because the rest of this will make sense as we go on. So let's jump a little bit further down the road in the history of Israel. So God has said, yep, I'll go with you, Moses, and I will show you my glory, right? And so he proclaims his goodness and his mercy and his truth. Now, that's his glory. Let's talk about his plan because God has a plan for the entire earth involving his glory, and we're going to find out that you're a part of that plan, so you should be aware of it, all right? Here we go. I'm going to read to you out of numbers, but again, I want you to have the backstory. I want you to have the context. In this story, uh, what has happened is Moses is interceding because God's going to kill Israel. All right? He's going to take them out. Now, what's happened is they've sent spies into the promised land before they go. And the spies came back, and uh, two of them gave a, a good report. Ten of them, as you recall, uh, said the, the people that are giants, we look like grasshopper in their eyes. The land devours its inhabitants. We're screwed. And Israel's reaction is they go full-on drama queen. I mean, full-on drama queen. They, it says that they wept and they complained. Oh, oh, it would have been better if we died in Egypt. Right? Yeah. I just wanted to illustrate that because I'm certain <laughs> you're not familiar. I'm so glad that we don't do that anymore. <laughs> that we don't go drama queen when things happen, right? And get all emotional and complain and weep. Oh, thank God. Got that over with. He said full of sarcasm. All right. Um, anyway, so that's what's going on. And they come up with a plan. Their plan is, hey, let's get, pick a new leader because Moses, this ain't working, and let's go back to Egypt. And God says, essentially, I have had enough. And uh, Moses, they haven't rejected you. They've rejected me, and I'm going to kill them all. Just step over here for a minute. I'm going to kill them all and I'm going to make a great nation out of you. And Moses, I guarantee you this is where his head is at. Moses is going, dang it. He told me if I let him come, this would happen. <laughs> and here we are. He's going to kill them all. What did he say? What did he say? Oh, I remember what he said. And so listen to this. Numbers chapter 14, verses 17 through 21. This is Moses' response after the Lord just said, I'm killing everyone. He says, and now I pray let the power of my Lord be great. What is this great power that Moses is referring to? Going to find out. 
And now I pray, let the power of my Lord be great, just as you have spoken, saying, the Lord is long-suffering and abundant in mercy, forgiving iniquity and transgression, but he by no means clears the guilty, visiting the iniquity on the fathers of the children of the third and fourth generations. Anybody know what he's quoting there? Where did his head go? That's Exodus 34. That's the very words God said when God passed before him and declared his glory. He declared his mercy. So Moses goes right back to that discussion where God said, if I go, I'm about to kill him. And he goes, well, here we are. <laughs> he told me he's going to kill him. But he goes, hey, God, you, let your power be great. You told me you were awesome in mercy. You told me that your glory was mercy. And so let's keep reading. He says, pardon the iniquity of this people, I pray, according to the greatness of your mercy. Just as you've forgiven this people from Egypt, even until now, do it again. Isn't that awesome? Takes him right back to an appeal to his greatness, his greatness, his goodness is his mercy. Get it? Now, let's look at what God says. God says, then the Lord said, I have pardoned according to your word. That was it. All right, I'll do it. I won't kill them all. I'll, Moses saves all of them. That's, that's, he should get something for that. Uh, I don't think they even appreciate it. I don't think, but anyway, uh, you know, pastor and stuff. All right. Uh, the Lord said, I have pardoned according to your word, but truly, as I live, all the earth shall be filled with the glory of the Lord. Now, reading between the lines, here's what I think God is saying. God is saying, look, Moses, uh, these people keep disobeying me. They don't trust me. They won't believe me. They won't follow me. I am determined to have a people that declare my glory, that illustrate my glory in the earth. So I'm going to kill all them, and we're going to start over with yours. And, and Moses says, no, please don't kill them all. He goes, okay, but I'm telling you, I'm going to do this. The glory of the Lord will fill the earth. And I need a people that will cooperate with me to do it. So I'll take these people through whatever i got to take them through. I'll do a captivity thing. We'll, we'll beat the not Jesus out of them. But my glory will cover the earth. My glory will fill the earth. That's my plan. It's going to happen. I'm going to do it. Do you understand what God's saying? So right in the midst of, all right, I won't kill him, but I'm not changing my plan. My plan is the glory of God filling the earth, and I need a people to do it. He's not talking about a glory cloud covering the earth like at the temple. He's talking about the revelation of his heart, his goodness and his mercy and his truth. He goes, I need a people that will work with me to fill the earth with the revelation of my goodness and mercy and truth. And I don't think these people are it, but you've taught me into working with them. Right? You see what's going on here. Now, that being the case, now let's read Habakkuk 2, 14, because he adds a word here. In Habakkuk chapter 2, uh, he says, For the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. The knowledge of the glory of the Lord is the knowledge of his goodness and mercy and truth. And he wants to fill the earth with that. And he needs a people to do it. Now, here's what I want you to see. 
you can go back and read this. I encourage you. Uh, you can go back and read Habakkuk chapter 2. I'm going to sum it up for you. I just read verse 14. This is a weird passage in the middle of, of a whole different theme. What you're going to read, if you read about Habakkuk chapter 2, is Israel full of pride, greed, violence, covetousness, covetousness, idolatry, and immorality. He did all those things. And he sticks in the middle of it. The earth will be filled with the knowledge of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. As if he's saying, look, we have all these issues. The solution to all these issues, all these human ills, is the knowledge of the glory of the Lord, the knowledge of my goodness and my mercy and my truth. And I'm going to have a people that inject the knowledge of my goodness and my mercy and my truth in the midst of the earth full of pride, greed, violence, covetousness, idolatry, and immorality. So it's fairly important that we don't join the earth in these things, but rather express the glory of the Lord. Are you following me? And so what I want you to see is that the knowledge of his glory is the remedy for every social ill, period. If there is a problem in the earth, at the end of the day, at the core of it, the solution is the knowledge of the glory of the Lord, the knowledge of his goodness and his mercy and his grace. Amen? Amen. Okay. Now, keep in mind, I'm not just talking about the theoretical knowledge of it. I'm talking about the knowledge of it that causes us to actually display it in the earth. That's tougher. It's easier for me to talk about it than to actually do it, right? And you'll probably find that's the same case for you. So let's talk about his people, uh, this people that he needs to cooperate with him so that he can display the knowledge of his glory in the entire earth. Amen? His people committed to expressing the knowledge of his glory. Spoiler alert, da da da, da that's us. You ready? It's very clear. 2 Corinthians chapter 4. Could not be clear that Paul, Paul's pretty good at the Old Testament. Paul figured this out. And so he wrote this to the Corinthian church. For it is the God who commanded the light to shine out of darkness, who also has shone in our hearts. Yeah? Is he shining in your heart? Good. To give us the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. To give us the light of the knowledge of the glory of God. What did he give us? Yep. We've been entrusted with the knowledge of the glory of God, his goodness and his mercy and his truth. And this is what's interesting, a very familiar passage, very next verse. Uh, he's given us the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ, but we have this treasure in earthen vessels that the excellence of the power may be of God and not of us. Now, we've all used that verse, and we all talked about how that treasure is the Holy Spirit or Jesus in earthen vessels. But in context, what that's saying is that treasure is the knowledge of his goodness and mercy and truth. What treasure has God put in you? The knowledge of his glory. The knowledge of his goodness and mercy and truth. You're carrying that treasure around in your earthen vessel. And if we can display that, people will see, oh, that's God. That's not that earthen vessel. 
That's what he means when he says uh, that the excellence of the power may be of God and not of us. Look at that earthen vessel displaying God's goodness and mercy and truth. That's got to be God. That can't be that earthen vessel. I've seen that earthen vessel. It's earthy. Right? You with me? Is this starting to make sense to you? I want you to think differently when we talk about the glory of God and our part in it. And so there's another part of this verse that is really cool. This is, this is my favorite part. This blew my mind. Uh, if it doesn't blow your mind, then that's okay. Uh, but he says in 2 Corinthians 4, verse 6, he says, He has shown in our hearts, given us the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus. Right? In the face of Jesus. So we get this glory by looking at Jesus' face. Now, what is exactly six verses before this? Let's read it. Because to me, that's what Paul's talking about. He just finished up talking about this, so he's still on this theme, right? Six verses before this, 2 Corinthians 3.18, Paul says, But we all, with unveiled face, beholding as in a mirror the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from glory to glory, just as by the Spirit of the Lord. Isn't that awesome? It says the glory is revealed in his face. Six verses earlier, he says, we stare at the face of Jesus, and we re he reveals the glory of the Lord, his goodness, his mercy, his truth. And we're changed into that glory, his goodness and mercy and truth. We stare at him, and we're changed. We stare at him, and we're changed from glory to glory, from more goodness and mercy and truth. Is this verse making more sense to you? Isn't that interesting? I really like that. So keep in mind the context of 2 Corinthians chapter 3, that verse 18 is the end of that chapter. The context of that is he's talking about how Moses used to go into the tent and come out. He would go in and talk with God and come out with his face all shiny and had to put a veil on because it kind of freaked the people out, Right? Because he was reflecting the glory of the Lord. And uh, how would, you know, they're still veiled until Christ removes the veil. But he goes, not us. We all with unveiled face. Now, it's not just talking about our unveiled face towards God. It's talking about our unveiled face towards each other. I go in. I look at God's face. I come out without a veil. I don't have to put a veil on. It's okay. I can go ahead and reflect his glory. I can go ahead and reflect his goodness and mercy and truth in the earth. With unveiled face, I'm being changed from glory to glory if I will stare at Jesus. Yeah? And so, I want to suggest to you that the first response to any problem you and I have is to start with gazing at Jesus for his goodness and his mercy and his truth. Lord, I have a problem I have a situation here, uh, I'm pissed off at this person, uh, or I'm hurt by this person, or I'm offended, or I'm angry. I'm pretty sure I don't have your heart yet, God. So I'm coming to stare you in the face until you take me to the next glory I need, until you give me the goodness and the mercy and the truth that I need to express from my heart in this situation. And if we'll stare at him long enough, he'll do it. Yeah? Sometimes it's quick. Is this making sense? Yes. You getting a better understanding of 
what the glory of the Lord is and our part in it and how we uh, are part of his plan to reveal the knowledge of the glory of the Lord in the earth. All we got to do is express his goodness and his mercy and his truth like he does. Simple, right? Yeah, well, that brings us to the process. Laboring toward maturity in his glory. Paul talks about this, and I think most of the time when Paul's talking about this, uh, he's talking about laboring in the context of prayer, how he's praying for this. And again, this is going to be a familiar verse, and there may be a little bit of a twist here that helps you to understand what this verse is talking about. In Colossians 1, 27 through 29, it says, To them God willed to make known what are the riches of the glory of this mystery among the Gentiles, which is, what's the mystery? Christ in you, the hope of glory. What's that glory? His goodness, his mercy, and his truth. Now, is Christ in you? Is his glory fully in you? Well, the hope is there. I'm hoping so. I got the hope. I got Christ for sure in me. And I got the hope of glory. I'm not sure I always got the glory. I'm not sure I'm always expressing his goodness and his mercy and his truth. What do I do? Paul says, glad you asked. Read the next two verses. Him we preach, warning every man and teaching every man in all wisdom. Have to be taught in wisdom. Have to learn. Have to look at the scriptures. Have to stare at Jesus' face through the scriptures. Have to learn. Have to gaze on his glory. That we may present every man perfect, or some translations will say complete, or mature in Christ Jesus. We have to mature into this. This doesn't just happen automatically. Jesus we get the moment we're saved. His glory we get the hope of the moment we're saved. But We've got to mature into it. We've got to grow up into this. We have to learn. We have to go from glory to glory by continually going back to Jesus and staring in his face. Is this making sense? Kind of fits, doesn't it? And he says, Paul says, To this end I also labor, striving according to his working, which works in me mightily. So we don't have to work to get Jesus in us. We have to work. We have to labor to get ourselves transformed to reflecting his glory. Does that make sense? This is, I think, what Paul was talking about in Galatians chapter 6. I'm sorry, Galatians chapter 4, verse 19, where he says, he's, he's writing to the Galatians, he says, my little children, uh, they're his little children because they, were, they believed. He birthed them in Christ. They were saved. They were Christians, right? My little children, for whom I labor in birth again until... Christ is formed in you. He says, I know you got saved, but I'm praying, and I mean it feels like I'm having a baby. I'm praying like that because it's so important to me that Christ is formed in you. And that's what we want to be about at Church on the Rock. Uh, we want to be about presenting you as mature in Christ Jesus, laboring in prayer until Christ is formed in you. Christ formed in you means that not only does he live there, but you begin to act like him. I begin to act like him. We begin to express his goodness and his mercy and his truth. Does that make sense? So, I submit to you 
that the biblical definition of maturity, of being complete or mature or having Christ formed in us, is our ability to manifest his goodness, his mercy, his truth, his glory in the earth. Our ability to be a part of his plan that the knowledge of the glory of the Lord will cover the earth as the waters cover the sea. Amen? Think what a difference we might make if we could do that, if the whole church could do that. So, I want to talk about the swirl now. Um, the, the current swirl, uh, many of you, probably most of you are aware, uh, there have been uh, online accusations against Mike Bickle, and there is a tremendous, the entire range, Christian, non-Christian comments, the news has gotten involved, they've involved Trump with it, I don't know how they did that, uh, but uh, it's all over the internet, and it's all over the place, and it's a huge swirl. If you're aware of it, you're aware of it. If you're not aware of it, God bless you. You're probably better off remaining ignorant. But what do we do? How do we navigate this swirl? And I don't want to make a comment on this particular swirl so much as on in general, how do we navigate? Because, again, it's this, what is the first, won't be the last. How does the church handle this? And uh, but I did, as Rachel and I were praying, we each got something from God concerning this specific one, so I want you to hear that. What I got is this, and this is interesting, and I, you may recall uh, a couple of weeks ago I talked about uh, out of Isaiah uh, 4, how God was refining so that he could bring glory. You guys remember that? How there would be a spirit of burning in our hearts. He's refining hearts because he wants to bring glory. And now we have a better definition of what glory looks like. He's refining because he wants to bring mercy and goodness and truth into our hearts so we can express it. Does that make sense? So what I felt like God told me is that this is a test. That, uh, do you remember in Luke 14, uh, 7 through 11, we talked about, uh, where Jesus talked about coming to a wedding and taking the lower seat and being humble? Be, uh, because someone might come in, if you take a higher seat, someone might come in more important than you, and you uh, have to move down. But if you're humble, he might come in and say, hey, uh, move up higher, right? So we're talking about letting God establish our seat, not establishing our own seat. God, I want you to put me in position. I don't want to put me in a position. I want it to be you. So what I felt like God was saying was that in the future, uh, he's going to be doing things, and there are going to be seats opening, and that this is a test. It is a test of our hearts because he's looking for people to fill those seats. I don't know for sure. I don't think those are all just in the church or spiritual. I think it could be at your work. It could be uh, in Hollywood. I don't know. Uh, but God wants to promote people, and, and this is, I felt specifically that this is a test of hearts. He wants to see who can handle being elevated and express the goodness and mercy and truth of God, right? So that scares me a little bit. I actually don't want to be promoted. I feel like this is good. I don't want to play in that league. Uh, so I'm not even looking for another seat. But I'd still like to pass the test. I'd still like to pass the heart test. Amen? So that was what God gave me, and so that's what I've been praying into and I just want to give you this also in general. Um, as you're hearing things about this swirl or any other swirl, and 
Uh, you know, Proverbs 18 says, the first one to plead his cause seems right until his neighbor comes and examines him. So it depends on the last thing he listened to. And it says, he who answers a matter, before he hears it, it's folly and shame to him. A lot of answers out there without much facts. And that's typically how these things go. So there is a way, there is a biblical wisdom test that you can use. Are you ready? And what I want you to see, and it's in James chapter 3. I'm going to go ahead and read it to you. It's 13 through 18. I want you to notice that this wisdom test is more about character than information. We tend to think uh, that information is what we're after. Uh, but God's going, no, you can tell who you should be paying attention to by their character more so than the information they're giving you. And here's the wisdom test. Uh, James 3, starting with verse 13. Who is wise and understanding among you? All right, let's just ask that question. Who is wise and understanding among you? Anyone want to raise your hand? It's not me. James wants to know. All right? It's a good question. Because we all have opinions. But when you start it with, well, who's wise and understanding? Well, I just had an opinion. I didn't say it was going to be wise and understanding. I just like to talk. By the way, this test for wisdom, I wonder if it works on the Internet or just in person. Think it'll work on the Internet? Think I could read things uh, on social media and apply this test to whether they're wise? Could be. You might try it. Well, all right, let's go ahead and look at the test. Who is wise and understanding among you? Let him show by good conduct that his works are done in the meekness of wisdom. Meekness. Hmm. But if you have bitter envy and self-seeking in your hearts, do not boast and lie against the truth. Ooh, self-seeking. I guess I should probably not pay much attention to that. Sounds like they're lying against the truth, and I'm supposed to be about the truth, right? This wisdom does not descend from above, but is earthly, sensual, demonic. Oh, wow, I'd hate to be repeating demonic wisdom on my Facebook. I don't have Facebook, so I don't have to worry about that. But. How about verse 16? Where there is envy and self-seeking exist, confusion and every evil thing are there. Wow, am I detecting some envy or self-seeking? Hmm, that might not be wise. Oh, here's the good part, verse 17. But the wisdom that is from above, well, let's see what that looks like. It is first pure, then peaceable. Sounds like it doesn't cause a stir. Sounds like it tries to cause peace. Gentle, wow, gentle. Hmm, that's different. Willing to yield. Oh, it might even be willing to be wrong. Full of mercy, full of mercy, full of mercy. Not full of accusation, full of mercy and good fruits, without partiality and without hypocrisy. Sounds like a high value for the truth right there. We're not going to be partial. We're going to find the truth. Now, the fruit of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. So it sounds like uh, people that want to bring peace, not a swirl. There are people that want to bring a swirl. They enjoy the swirl. They like stirring up the swirl. We should probably not be part of the swirl. So the correct response, I submit to you, is always going to be goodness, mercy, and truth. 
And maybe, maybe anything else is not helpful. Thought? Maybe anything that isn't goodness, mercy, and truth is not helpful. Maybe it's even detrimental. Maybe it's even causing harm. Maybe it's even leading to uh, exacerbating the problem. These are my thoughts. Um, I think that we're going to have to learn as a church to mature in the glory of God, in goodness and mercy and truth, to properly navigate what's going to come at our way. We, we live in an information age. Uh, and Daniel says, in the end times, uh, men will run to and fro and knowledge will increase. And so I, can, I, I don't just have to worry about what's happening in town. I can find about the bad things that are happening all over the world and what people are doing wrong, and what this Christian did, and what that guy said. And uh, I've often told Rachel, one of the reasons I'm not on social media is anything, I don't care, I could, I could post the sky is blue and start an argument on social media. You post anything to 20,000 people, and someone's going to not like it. And the, before you know it, I'm not saved anymore. Because the sky isn't blue where they are. Right? I'm a liar. You with me? Okay, so that was what I felt like God gave me. Rachel also had something that God gave her, if you want to grab the mic, babe, that I thought was super significant. Mm -hmm. uh, probably we should write it on the wall. Um, <laughs> one of those things. So I'm going to let her share that with you, and then we'll have the band up when she's done, which I don't know how long that'll be. Not long. Not long. Don't, everybody's like, oh, my gosh. Um, I just want to say a couple things. In, um, one of them is that I, I know some of you guys have heard me tell a story about a conflict, a Facebook conflict I had with my older brother over a college football game. <laughs> Go figure. And, um, and it kind of like, he thought it was nothing, but then later on in the week, he just texted me randomly. And I'm in the middle of doing a Facebook Live. I think I had a book launch or something. So I'm read it. He sent, it was a text, and I read it because I thought it was my assistant helping me with what was going on online, and it was this kind of blast of a text at me. I almost just started crying right then and there in the middle of the, of the lovely chat about this lovely book that's all happy-deppy. And um, so I go home, though I made it through. I go home, and I'm talking to Tony about it, and I'm standing at the sink. It's like 10 o'clock at night. I'm doing dishes, and I'm just weeping trying to find the solution. What, what is going on, God? And the Lord just sliced through, and he reminded me of something that my brother had posted in exchange with another brother online. And I, I knew then what his heart, I saw his heart. And so I went, and I, I, think, I, either texted, I think I texted him, and I knew he wasn't going to text me back, but I had peace. And so I want to encourage us that the world's solutions aren't our solution. Amen. We cannot handle conflict and accusation the same way the world handles conflict and accusation. The Holy Spirit can give you insight into those solutions, even a stupid argument over a football game that you didn't intend to be anything at all. You thought you were doing banter. And so um, asking the Lord for his solutions, even in intercession, you know, and a week later, he called me about something completely different, and that's when I knew it was over, and it was all good, because that's, that's the way he rolls. 
So, but I just, just really, really want to guard against the church beginning to embrace the world's way to solving problems and conflict. Because the Holy Spirit knows stuff that nobody else knows. And we also just really need to guard. How many of you have been in an argument? Mm, just told you of one. And you realize there was a side that you didn't know. There's always two sides. It always takes two. And so we can't allow ourselves and even our own woundedness, guard against your own woundedness, because sometimes we react to these online things because of our own woundedness. And so that's when we know, I think I might need the Holy Spirit to begin dealing with me, right? So, and also just, so the thing that, that is, the Lord has been on me about for decades is setting a guard over my mouth. I, you know what? We don't have to say everything we think. Mm-hmm. Surprise. <laughs> yes. That's official permission right there. <laughs> That's what? Official permission. That's official permission? You do not? Um, I've heard people take word fast, you know, where they just didn't speak for some season, and they felt so clean. So clean. So that means we don't have to put it on Facebook either or Twitter. We don't have to type it. It's the same thing. So um, before we found out this thing with Mike Bickle, um, I felt like the Lord had said to me very, very pointedly, Rachel, if you love me, you will not join the accuser in accuser of the brethren. If you love me, you will not join the accuser of the brethren. And that's what comes out of my mouth, right? So we found out this thing, and I had a thought, and I turned to Tony, and I said, you know, blah, 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 blah. And I didn't say all of my thought because I kind of pulled myself back. And later I went to the ladies' meeting. I, I encourage you guys to come to the ladies' meeting because women are sharing their testimonies. It's a really lovely time. And I felt uneasy. But it wasn't about the speaker. It was something with me. And it was my speculation. And I had to repent right then and there. And I came home to Tony, and he just was kind of like, what? What are you talking about? I said, you know, I started to speculate something to you. And the Lord said to me, Rachel, speculation is the seedbed of accusation. So the moment we begin to speculate, we will end up more than likely in accusation. Things we don't know. Now, sometimes it is a little bit, maybe the Holy Spirit is moving over us. We still don't have to say it. We pray on it. We give our hearts to seeking the truth. So speculation, the seedbed of accusation, and I cannot tell you how many times in the last week I have, not about that particular situation, but uh, I have speculated about tons of things. Like you see something in the news, you're wondering about things, you get partial clips here and there, you hear partial conversations, you start speculating, what do they mean? Man, it's everywhere. So just want us to guard our hearts and begin wanting God's solutions to the problems that we're facing rather than our worldly solutions. And even the language that we hear today is so, is, you know, I was talking with this movie producer the other day, and she says, well, we want faith-forward stories. I'm like, faith-forward? Like, there's language for everything. There's psychological language for everything, and it's so much softer than what it really is. Or it kind of dials, why don't we just have faith movies? Why don't we have a Jesus movie, right? Why do we have to have faith-forward? I don't even know what that means. But anyway, so just... Feeling that God, and also to what Tony said about God calling us to be a mature body of Christ. 
I feel church on the rock, you guys, us in this room are called to be mature. You may feel like I'm not mature, but God is calling us mature. And he's calling things perhaps that aren't as though they are. But I think really for us as a family of God and, and as the body of Christ, be encouraged that God is calling us to maturity. And he's already put in place those things that are, we're going to walk in that cause each and every one of us to be mature. I want to be mature. I've spent too much time in immature land. I want to be mature, even if it's uncomfortable and hard. And so I know that God wants to bring all of us forward in that in the name of Jesus. Amen? Amen. All right. All right, so let's have the band uh, back up. We had a little bit of time left in the worship. Who here, honest question, don't just tell me what you think I want to hear because God's listening and he might hold you to your word. Uh, who here wants to be a part of expressing and manifesting the glory of God in the earth, his goodness, his mercy, and his truth? All right, all right that's, that's a lot of you. All right, we'll take it. So I think we should pray for that. I think we should ask for that. I think we should ask God to work in our hearts. Uh, and part of that is, again, what we saw in uh, 2 Corinthians 3, gazing at Jesus and going, show me your glory, show me your goodness, show me your mercy, show me your truth, so that I can reflect that, so that I can reflect that in these situations. Now, don't be surprised if God gives you an opportunity in the next couple of weeks when you go, oh, dang it. <laughs> this is one of those things where I could, I could get God's heart or I could just say what I think. Hmm, it might happen. So I want to encourage you, let's, let's uh, as we go into worship, let's stand and let's begin to uh, just gaze on the face of Jesus and go, God, change us. Make us look like you. We want to express your glory. I am thankful. In fact, I want to pray that. Lord, I am thankful that you would entrust us with glowing faces like you did Moses, that you will let us look at you and entrust us to go and express and manifest your glory in the earth to represent your goodness and your mercy and your truth. Lord, that's all we have to do. We don't have to worry about the response. We just have to worry about your response from heaven. So Lord, we just pray this morning as we worship you, as we gaze on the face of Jesus, change us, take us from glory to glory, mature us until Christ is formed in us.